You're listening to Nightlight Radio Network. This is Dr. Bob Hieronymus, co-host of 21st Century Radio. We are happy to present this rebroadcast of our show on Nightlight. In the nearly 30 years since 21st Century Radio was born, we have had scores of guests reviewing UFO research, and although there are many who have contributed to this field of research, there are about seven guests whose works I highly recommend. And tonight's guest, Dr. David Jacobs, is amongst those seven. The others were Bud Hopkins, Dr. John Mack, who are no longer with us, as well as my dear friend Ingo Swan, who I miss greatly. We used to smoke the biggest and longest cigars on the planet. Good old (laughs) Ingo and I. And Peter Robbins, Stanton Friedman, and... Dr. Jacques Vallée. Those are the top seven as far as I am concerned. Now, this is Dr. Jacobs' 10th appearance on 21st Century Radio. The first, he he first joined us in 1993 and was last with us in the year 2000. David M. Jacobs is an American historian and recently retired associate professor of history at Temple University specializing in 20th century American history and culture. Jacobs is also well-known in the field of ufology for his research and authoring of books on the subject of alien abductions. You can visit David at www.ufoabduction.com. Well, tonight we will discuss... Discuss... (laughs) We will discuss his latest and most important book... Walking Among Us, The Alien Plan to Control Humanity, published by Disinformation Books. Now, I've been waiting a long time for what might be the most important publication on UFOs, period. Welcome back to 21st Century Radio after 15 years of disappearing there, Dr. Jacobs. Oh, thank you, Bob. It it seems like yesterday, though. Well, it was just yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) It's a it's a matter of how you think, I guess, huh? <laughs> well, David, this is, I think, your most important work. I think it's going to be perhaps one of your most controversial. But I'm telling you, I think you have really gotten to the core of this particular situation. And we'll get to that in just a little while. How do you feel about this book? Well, I think you're right. I think this is about as far as I can go now, uh, in the in the abduction phenomenon, uh, it's very difficult to get any more information uh, from what I could tell, and uh, it is controversial, and it's got a lot of transcripts in it uh, that some people have complained about a little bit, but the transcripts uh, are are revealing about uh, exactly what is happening and how it's happening, and uh, it's. I have two more books to write. One is How to Do Hypnosis with Abductees, and the other one is about uh, adventures I had with a single abductee and uh, and and her her uh, sort of hybrid people around her. Mm-hmm. And uh, that will be it for me. I'm hanging up my brains after that. I'm going to just do nothing but watch television. Well, there might not be anything else to do but watch television. Yep, I'm doing quite a lot of it these days, right now. Well, well, 
How long have you been involved in studying UFOs and abductions? Would you give us the names of your books, please? Well, uh, I've been involved with studying UFOs and abductions for about 50 years. 50 years? Yeah, I started in, in about 65 or so. I, it's a little bit hazy. I think I started late 65 or early 66. I can't remember, to tell you the truth. And um, I wound up writing my doctoral dissertation on the controversy over unidentified flying objects uh, in America. Uh, and I got my uh, Ph.D. in 1973. Then in 1992, I came out with a, a book called Secret Life, which kind of talked about uh, a, a sort of standardized procedures that, that abductees go through on, on typical abduction events. And uh, then in 1998, I came out with The Threat, which was a book which focused more on hybrids uh, and, and the phenomenon of, of different kinds of hybrids and what they were up to. And then in the year 2000, I, I, did a, I published a, uh, an edited book uh, where I had uh, 10 authors, including Bud Hopkins and John Mack and uh, uh, Ron Westrom and Don Dondery and, and Jerry Clark and, 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 and other, you know, sort of heavyweights in the field um, contribute original articles. And, uh, and I, I contributed a couple of uh, chapters there, too. And um, then, then came the dry spell <laughs> until now. And uh, but I started doing this kind of research. In, in, I mean, in, in this, this what's in this book began to develop for me starting in 2003. Mm-hmm. So it actually took me quite a while to get the darn thing published. Believe it or not, it took years to get it published. You mean to find a publisher? Or I, to, to find the publisher, exactly right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why do you think so, that is? Uh, Why do you think that was? Uh, well, there's there's actually a specific reason that we can all point to. Uh, in 1998, when I went on a, a book tour, uh, my books were published, my two books on abductions were published by Simon & Schuster. And so with, with Secret Life, I went on a book tour around the country. Everything was good. Everything was wonderful. And they called me a best-selling author then, see. Uh, and The Threat, which they, they wanted another book, and I, I wrote The Threat, and uh, then they put me on a book tour. Uh, everything was nice. Everything was great. Everything was wonderful for the first week. Then the Monica Lewinsky story broke. Uh-oh. Well, you can't I compete w- with that. No, I was canceled on virtually every show I was supposed to be on in every city. And uh, that was the end of that book. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's still my. selling. But... Um, when Simon and Schuster took a look at the uh, at this book, it was the fr- first place we went to, of course, uh, some years back. Uh, they uh, looked at the numbers. They didn't do well. The threat didn't do well, and this is, and so uh, uh, it was all a matter of money, and you know, and they 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 uh, you know drew a buy on it. And then we couldn't get influ- uh, get interested for any other publishers, and uh, and and finally, uh, uh, Red Wheel Wiser, who owns. Hampton Roads and, and Canary and a bunch bunch of other uh, 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 imprints uh, uh, took it on, and to my eternal gratitude. And uh, so now it's out. <laughs> well, I am so glad it is out, and uh, it's, a, it's a tough book for me to read, I'll tell you. And it might be pretty tough for others as well. You know, I had a very similar experience in the sense of the book that took me 30 years to write. It was called Inside the Yellow Submarine. 
and uh, nobody, and everyone wanted a Beatles book, but nobody wanted to publish something that the Beatles did not want published. And the that's a subject that the Beatles did not want published because it revealed that they had very little to do with the film. Uh, and so, needless to say, over 12 other authors attempted to do it. The Beatles wouldn't let them do it. Uh, and we had quite a struggle, but they finally they finally decided, okay, go do it. And and uh, But to find a publisher was, whoa, boy, almost impossible. And yet the Beatles are very, always have been very popular. Oh, still are. Uh, you notice that, too. Yeah, Absolutely. Not, not only that, but wasn't there just a, a film made uh, about the making of the Yellow Submarine? Uh, well, not on the making of it, uh, but of of the Yellow Submarine. And it did, it did um, as a matter of fact, there are DVDs that, that actually uh, add that information, a lot of it from our books. Uh, the, the Beatles borrowed that information. Um, that discussed how it came about and that kind of thing. But uh, I was just amazed at how long it took to find someone that had the courage. And so we had to have two of my attorneys go up against all of the Beatles' attorneys, and we won. Wow, I'll never fantastic. For, yeah, I, I didn't expect that at all. It was, and, uh, but fortunately it is out, and uh, now it's considered to be the most important book ever written on the Yellow Submarine. Um, mainly because we interviewed just about everybody, with the exception of the Beatles, who would not become involved, that created the film, over 50 people. Uh, and now, since most of them are now passed on, that's the sad thing about history, is, as you well know, when some of your greater sources pass on, then that kind of field kind of dries up. But I'm sorry to get into this area, but it does take a long, long time sometimes to get good books published. How did you get involved with the abduction phenomena? Well... Actually, there is an overlap here with what you were just saying, because uh, when, when significant figures uh, pass on in, 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 the, his, in, the, in the world, um, usually the, there's been people who have interviewed them and it becomes oral history. And that oral history then it becomes sort of a, 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 an, an important document, if you will, uh, for their lives and for their careers and, and so forth. And with doing abduction research, really is oral history. Uh, everything is basically history. Obviously, uh, the beginning of the sentence that I'm talking now is floating away into history. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's hard to define when history begins. You know, my guess is it begins now, whenever now is. And so. Um, with with abductions, it's oral history, but it's oral history with a with a twist with with, with a problem. In normal oral history, people try to make themselves look pretty good. Oftentimes, you have to be very careful with oral history uh, of major figures of, of figures who are minor figures. It doesn't matter that much, uh, but they 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 try to pump themselves up and see how important they were and all the rest of that stuff. With with the abduction phenomenon, people are uh, oftentimes fearful of remembering what they uh, you know what happened to them. Uh, they leave stuff out because it's too embarrassing for them. Uh, they uh, they get things wrong. There's confabulation. Uh, it, it becomes a kind of tangled mess in the beginning if you don't know what you're doing. 
which was what happened to me when I first started out doing uh, uh, hypnosis with abductees back in 1986. Uh, I, I made every mistake a human being could make, but I learned from my mistakes very, very quickly. And uh, so the material that I've had now, I, I'm fairly confident in, obviously, many years later. And uh, um, so I, I, I had enough material, I thought, uh, you know, to make this book uh, starting uh, some years back. But, um, but one has to remember for, all, for your audience that this is uh, human memory uh, recovered through hypnosis of all the damn things administered by amateurs and i will guarantee you everybody's an amateur in this business i don't care if you're a professional hypnotist or not or a psychologist or psychiatrist you're all amateurs when it comes to the abduction uh hypnosis world mm-hmm. so uh but i'm confident of the data i'm confident of what i've written and uh, there's enough controls in place to make me uh not embarrassed later on you know or anything like that uh, so so what would you like to know, Dr. Bob? How many abductees have you worked with? Well, I, I have worked with 150 people. Now, that doesn't seem all that long, and, 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 there's a, and you have to understand that there's a problem with that number. It's a wrong number. Yes, I have worked with 150 people, but a bunch of those people I only had one session with. And they just told me the whatever you know account that they had, and that was it. And and then they, they never came back. I don't I don't charge for anything I do, and people can come as many times as they want. They can leave whenever they want. Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, so uh, uh, there, there's a significant number, maybe twenty twenty percent, something like that. Twenty five percent had only one session, then a bunch had two sessions. And then a bunch had four, you know, and, and I, there's more and more and more. I had to one woman who I had 100 sessions. Holy heavens. Was that Betsy? or? Yes. That was Betsy. Boy, I'm telling you, uh, well, excuse me, I, I won't jump ahead there, but uh, really <laughs> fascinating stuff. Really, really. Uh, well, obviously, there must have been some things that these abductees had in common, were there? Well, all abductees have same, the same things in common. They were all abducted starting in childhood, perhaps even infancy, although they don't remember that, of course. Um, and uh, the abductions have continued, sometimes slower, sometimes uh, 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 with a greater rate, uh, all the way until the present day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, uh, they remember a few, uh, they, they remember abduction events once you open up the gates in hypnosis, now they remembered things happening anyway because they've come to me. Most abductees, maybe 95%, I'm guessing here, but maybe 90 to 95%, uh, uh, do not remember anything. They have no bleed-through memories, no screen memories, no nothing. It is completely submerged in them somewhere. Mm-hmm. And so consequently, uh, we only see the ones who have these lead through memories who've, who've worried about odd events that have happened to them over the over the years and uh, and then they come to me or to other other uh, researchers and um, so we deal with a very small tiny percentage of people who, who've had a, a abduction events and with with the fact of it being uh, uh, human memory, uh, you know, with hypnosis uh, conducted oftentimes by amateurs such as me, uh, 
it's very hard to imagine a weaker form of evidence. So you got to keep that in mind. But it is evidence, number one, and there is a physicality to the abduction phenomenon that is extremely important. People see other people abducted and are not abducted. When people are, are abducted, they are physically missing from their normal environments. Uh, there's only been one case, and that was a highly dubious case, in 1972 in Australia, where a woman claimed to be abducted and a researcher was sitting in, in a, the car with her at the time she, sang, she said she was being abducted and uh, she wasn't abducted. So the question is, was she actually an abductee or what? But that's the only time in the thousands of cases that we've looked at that, um, that anything like that has ever happened. Therefore, it's an outlier. Therefore, it doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the fact is that, that uh, people can confirm each other's abductions if they're abducted in groups. People um, uh, sometimes meet other people on a street or in some odd way, just a, a serendipity, and recognize each other from being on a UFO together. Of all the things that ever come up in conversation, you think that that would be the last. Um, and uh, people come back with unusual marks and scars on their body and sometimes fully formed scar tissue that was not there the day before. I have seen this to my unbelievable amazement. Uh, and people have uh, come back uh, with their clothes on backwards, uh, uh, missing certain items uh, that they that they had on when they were abducted, their watch, their ring, whatever it is, uh, and sometimes wearing somebody else's clothes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as you say, sometimes they're even deposited in the wrong place. Or, but so, in other words, during the abduction experience, the aliens can make some mistakes. They are living sentient beings, and not everything works perfectly a hundred percent of the time. They screw up just like anybody else, but the number of screw-ups is relatively low. Well, with that, we're going to do a we, There's a screw-up we cannot afford, and that is not paying attention to commercials and stuff like that. So time out on the playing field, and when you come back, I want you to study up on this subject. How do people become abductees? You, you, you can cheat if you want. You can read, read from your book, okay? <laughs> I'm sure that after decades of doing this... <laughs> <laughs> you can't remember everything. All well, right. I'll try to remember that. Okay. Well, our guest is Dr. David Jacobs, Ph.D., Walking Among Us, The Alien Plan to Control Humanity, Disinformation Books in 2015, ufoabduction.com. Check our growing YouTube channel on selected shows at youtube.com, 21st Century Radio. Meanwhile, all previous interviews for several years are available for free at 21stCenturyRadio.com. This is Dr. Jacques Vallée. You're listening to 21st Century Radio with Dr. Bob Hieronymus, the reference in the study of the paranormal. It's nothing like being a reference. (laughs) A reference for something. Welcome back to 21st Century Radio with our guest, Dr. David Jacobs. Walking Among Us, The Alien Plan to Control Humanity, Disinformation Books, 2015, UFOabduction.com. And you can check... uh, our growing YouTube channel with all kinds of shows up there. But I wish we could post the shows we did 
20-some years ago. Someday we'll get to that. Because many of those researchers, uh, really important ones uh, in various fields, are now have now passed on. And unfortunately, other shows like this never bothered with them for some strange reason. Now, have you brushed up on this next question, sir? Well, I'll try. Oh, well, you only get one chance now. <laughs> you get one chance. Okay, here goes. Here's the question. How do people become abductees? Uh, by sending me an envelope full of money. <laughs> how much How much do they got to send you? <laughs> five, more. Would more five, than enough. <laughs> would $500 do it? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that's a good deal. That's a good deal to be abducted for $500. <laughs> but, of course, when we get to what the, <laughs> talk about what goes on there, uh, not too many people necessarily want to be that way. Okay. Well, Actually, the, the interesting thing is is that uh, since I never charged any money for anything I ever did, uh, I, I consider this to be a cash flow. Uh, 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 how do I put it? It, 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 it's, it's a negative cash flow business. That's what it is. It's, mm-hmm. The money just flows out of my bank account every time somebody walks into my, apart, um, to my, uh, my office. Well, I'm sure you're happy about that. When money changes hands in this area, expectations go up, bad things happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's best just to do it gratis. You know what I mean? You're, I you're helping people to. You know, you're changing people's lives for the for the better. Usually, if, if they stick with you and, and you know what you're doing, and and that that should be one of the main areas that you, that you're interested in. Mm-hmm. But people actually become abductees. Because their mother or their father or both were abductees, and they were abductees for the same reason, and we can therefore date it back to, a, with a, a degree of certainty, uh, back to the um, perhaps, perhaps uh, I'm guessing here, the last quarter of the 19th century, maybe commensurate with the mystery airship wave of 1896, 1897. Oh, yeah. yeah. But but I'm 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 extending myself there, and there's no real uh, evidence of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but uh, I once read a letter uh, written to Jim and Carl Lorenzen, who were the uh, the directors of the Aerial Phenomena Research Organization, which uh, became defunct in the 1980s. And the letter was was a letter about a, from an elderly guy who said that. He wanted to write them about an experience he had in the year 1917, when he was 11 years old. And uh, he said that he, uh, his parents had taken him to his grandparents' house uh, one Sunday afternoon or whatever it was, and uh, he went out in the backyard to fool around, and uh, the, he got bored, and there was a, a stand, stand of trees uh, in this farm area. And he went around over there, and he immediately saw a large circular object uh, that looked metallic on the ground, and which sort of astonished him. And then he noticed that there were three, I think he said, I have to remember back, uh, uh, little people, small people staring at him. So he turned around and he ran, and they ran after him, and he ran all the way back to his grandmother's house or grandfather's house, and uh, and uh, he beat them there, and, and, and everything was okay. Now, having looked at 1,150 different abduction uh, experiences with those 150 people, 
I can tell you right off that uh, uh, small aliens do not chase people, except down a hallway and on a UFO, but uh, but not uh, uh, in their farmland or whatever it is. The, the area is under control. The person is under control. Uh, what this what the guy was actually saying was that uh, he was taken into the object. He doesn't remember anything like that happening. Uh, he, all he remembers is seeing it. He was let go, and then he uh, came to, and he ran. And he thought they were running after him, but they weren't. They'd already left. That's my that's my analysis of, of this kind of a story. Having heard hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these kinds of stories, that was uh, an abduction event, almost certainly in 1917. Now, Bud Hopkins did a, a regression with a guy um, who was much younger in, in the 1920s. I did regression events with a, with, with a couple of people uh, who were children, of course, in the 1930s. And we've done uh, many, 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 many abduction uh, uh, regressions um, uh, that, for events that happened in the 1940s. So it dates back, it can, not, not back to the, to the ancient times, I'm afraid. Uh, there, we see no evidence for that whatsoever. But it certainly dates back uh, throughout most of the 20th century. So, and therefore, uh, um, it, it, it's, it, it's, it's sort of, you, well, because it's, uh, there's a situation here as well in terms of who gets to be an abductee. And that is, if, uh, if the child of an abductee, who is an abductee himself, grows up and gets married to a non-abductee, and most people are not abductees, of course, and has a couple of kids, those kids will be abductees as well. Mm-hmm. When they get married and have kids, their kids will be abductees. Now, that has a significant meaning for the structure of the abduction phenomenon uh, as it is. In other words, in the, in the first area, the number of abductees keeps pace with the population growth. But at the same time, abductees are, in, a, in an odd way, workers within a complex system uh, that I outline in the book of, of making hybrids. And therefore, the workforce that is required by these beings who are here is also increased uh, as the population increases. So it's family connection. It's family connection. It's it's got to be direct family connection. Uh, and um, but but you know, people have sisters and brothers, and you know they become aunts and uncles to the kid, and uh, the kid is an abductee, and he grows up, and, and you know it's it, it's family. It's it's familial. It's um, it's not what you would expect. It's not a there's one get them kind of situation where you just see somebody walking along and say, well, let's abduct that guy. It's not that. There's there's something about abductees that is just a tiny, tiny, tiny bit different uh, than non-abductees, uh, which allows them to be abducted. What do you think that is? Well, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know what what how they've made this happen. It, it, it's above my pay grade, so to speak. <laughs> I don't know that much about uh, neurology. Uh, which I think is the main reason, and uh, 
and and I certainly don't know much about uh, genetics, uh, but my guess is that somewhere in 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 the genetics of of, of people who've had abduction experiences is a some little gene that's been twisted a little or turned around or substituted or whatever it is, which allow them to be abductees. And also, I think, I may be wrong about this, but to also share in telepathy when when they uh, when they are abducted. Because mm-hmm. on board the, uh, the UFO, when there's an abduction, virtually all communication between gray aliens and other aliens and, and even hybrids is telepathic. Telepathy is not a normal aspect of human life. As I've said before, my guess is, and we will never know this, well, we don't know this, but if only 1% of the population of the Earth or of America uh, was had genuine telepathic abilities, only 1% could tell what other people were thinking, we would probably live in a completely different society. Oh, yes. The ramifications of that are, are mind-boggling. Uh, it would just, it, it would, it, everything would be different, it seems to me. In if, what, if, if, in if what ways that. would it be different, David? Because this is, where we're moving now is extremely important, especially for some of your conclusions that you come near, come to near the end of your book. But uh, the... Would you expand on that? Well, uh, it, it, I can't expand on it in terms of, of people just at, at random, but what I can expand on is is the aliens. <clears throat> the thing is that most people, when they think about the abduction phenomenon, they think of gray aliens. Gray aliens are just workers. They don't have a major say in things. Uh, they don't, they're not policymakers. They're not overseers, necessarily. Uh, the, the ones who are in charge, uh, I think, are the insect, insect aliens, who I call insectulins in this book, uh, which is just a combination of two words put together with the letter E removed. Uh, and uh, so the insect-like ones who look like praying mantises, which is the most commonly uh, said description of them, uh, are the ones who I think are, have engineered this phenomenon and who have, are, are calling the shots. They are the ones in control. They do not come down and, and abduct people, by and large. Uh, gray aliens do and hybrids do. From the various early from the earliest cases that we know of, the Antonio Villas-Boas case in Brazil uh, in 1957 and the Barney and Betty Hill case in 1961, both of those cases had reproductive aspects to them, of all things. I mean, it's the last thing you would expect in, a, in an abduction event back in those days. Antonio Villas-Boas was required to have sexual relations with a a, a female who he said looked hybrid, I'm sorry, looked human, uh, but was part of them of, in some way. And uh, Barney had sperm taken from him, although he was very careful not to tell that to uh, anybody. And when uh, John Fuller wrote a book about Barney and Betty Hill's experiences, he had Fuller take out that part about uh, taking sperm from him. It was too embarrassing and 
and he uh, and he did that and helped everybody because all guys say that and the and in, in the early days you couldn't accuse them of just getting it from Barney and Betty Hill story you know mm-hmm. um, and Betty uh, Betty claimed that uh, that that they put a needle in her navel which was true and then they said it was a pregnancy test which pro- which we have to be dubious about. Uh, uh, it's the only time that phrase has ever been uttered and, that I know of, and, and that's not good. It probably came from her own thoughts, and, mm-hmm. uh, and she thought that they were—that's what they were saying, because uh, there is no such thing as a pregnancy test. But um, so uh, uh, that reproductive quality was there from the very, very beginning. In fact. The Antonio Villas Bellas case was so embarrassing that it wasn't even published in UFO literature until 1966. That's right. Yeah. And um, from the earliest, uh, 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 well, from from the earliest times till now, that reproductive aspect has been there solidly, solidly. Mm-hmm. In other words, uh, women have uh, uh, ova taken, men have sperm taken. Women are are then sometimes uh, uh, have well, they sometimes have fetuses in, inserted in them, and then after uh, uh, ten weeks or so, uh, it's 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 removed, and the, the fetuses are placed in gestation tanks uh, with nutrients. We assume, and uh, people see them as as toddlers. I mean, as babies and as toddlers, as young children, as older children, as adolescents, as young adults. As adults, but not as older adults, for reasons that are unclear, reasons we don't know. Uh, and in the threat, this is the book that I wrote in 1998, I, um, I I talked a lot about hybrids, and I sort of bifurcated them into early stage, middle stage, and late stage hybrids, and all that. And uh, um, and I and I noticed that that these Gray aliens and hybrids were talking about how uh, soon there was going to be a change. A change was going to come. Become, was going to come soon. Uh, it was going to be wonderful. It was going to be great. Everybody was going to love it, uh, and uh, everybody was going to be happy. And soon this change would come, and everybody's going to be working for the soon, for the change. And I heard that from a number of people. And uh, which is which is really an odd thing to say for anybody, even once. Yeah. But I heard it from a number of people who are unaware, of course, that other people were saying the same thing. And um, I asked them, how you know, do they know how long the change will be? Well, you know, what what, what is the word they would always say was going to be soon? That the the aliens always said soon there's going to be a change. Well, what do you mean by soon? Does it mean tomorrow? Does it mean yesterday? Does it mean 5,000 years from now or a million years? You know, what, what does that word mean? Yeah. Nobody knew. Nobody knew. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in 2003, uh, I started working with a guy, and we had several sessions together. There's a man in his 50s, a businessman. And he told me, he, he we did some uh, a few sessions when he was younger and so forth, and then it occurred to him that um, he had a friend, and and this friend was his best friend, and he did not know his friend's last name, however, nor did he know where his friend came from, 
nor where he worked, nor whether he was married, or anything about him at all. But he was his best friend, and they were together all the time. Which seemed just ever so slightly odd to me. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so we did, we started doing, we did a session on him, who he called Eric. Well, could we stop here and uh, take our final break of the hour and return to Eric? Because now we're moving to some really important stuff from the standpoint. And uh, we need, obviously, also talk a little bit about uh, you have really uh, analyzed the different types of so-called different types of aliens. Because, as you know, there are some people going around saying there are 56 different civilizations that have come here. Uh, they have. They said that. <laughs> I don't know where they got that number from. Uh, and it this might all be the same civilization. I don't know about that. We're going to take our break here with Dr. David Jacobs, Walking Among Us, The Alien Plan to Control Humanity, Disinformation Books 2015. And wait till you hear about the plan. That's where, where we're moving to, uh, especially next hour. UFOabduction.com. And uh, as a matter of fact, uh, go to YouTube.com, 21st Century Radio, and do this and that and these and those. But sit up straight, comb your hair, and no talking, and you can chew gum. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Hello, this is Ingo Swan, the author of Penetration, The Question of Extraterrestrial and Human Telepathy. And you're listening to the wonderful 21st Century Radio with the amazing Dr. Bob Hieronymus. And I'm having a pretty damn good time. We're about ready to uh, talk about Eric. Eric and Dr. David Jacobs' book, Walking Among Us, The Alien Plan to Control Humanity, Disinformation Books 2015, ufoabduction.com. I was very interested uh, in what you said about workers, you know, the greys being workers, because it reminds me uh, of the, the way they act like, well, like bees, uh, you have workers, and you have others that are a bit higher up on the in rank. Now, tell us a little about good old Eric. Well, Eric was uh, the interesting thing about him was that uh, uh, he, he, in the conversations that he had with uh, with Bernard, who the person was who I was working with, uh, they were all one way conversations. Uh, um, uh, Information was given by Bernard about what his life was like, about what to do, about what to eat, how to do this, how to do that, how to, and all sorts of things. And no information was forthcoming uh, from from Eric. Uh, but Eric was a hybrid. In fact, Eric was a hybrid who could easily live here. In fact, I call those people in the book hubrids. They are human and hybrid uh, together, uh, uh, obviously they're human and hybrid together. They're hybrids, but they are human in every conceivable way, except that neurologically they can control people. They can make people do or think or act any way they want, uh, which is the way it's always been from the very beginning of our knowledge of this phenomenon with all gray aliens, with all aliens. Uh, and, of course, you can talk telepathically uh, with Bernard at any time and all that. But he was human in every conceivable way. Nobody would ever, ever, ever imagine him being unusual, mm-hmm. especially in his looks. He looked average. 
And um, so they had this whole long relationship. Uh, they, they went fishing. They, they, they ate in restaurants. They, they, they did sightseeing things. Uh, uh, they, they, they had this whole, whole long relationship. And I listened to that, and I thought, you know, very interesting. He was still having the relationship, even to the point of leaving Eric 20 minutes before he came to my office for a session where Eric tried his best to get him not to come here. Mm-hmm. Um, but the point is, is that this is, this is an outlier. Nobody, other people have to say the same thing who are unaware of this as I, as as I uh, had heard, and um, and with just one event like this, you have to wait till other people say the same thing before it has any any credence to it, or, or support to it, I should say. Then another person started saying things like that. Then another one. 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 And I began to realize. You know, I think this is the change, or at least we're, I'm seeing indications of the change, or the change is happening. This is the change that they had talked about beforehand, before rather. And uh, a woman I had worked with on and off since 1987 began to say things like that. She had never said that, things like that before, uh, of uh, of showing hubrids basically how to drive a car, how to go to a store and buy something, how to uh, go shopping in a supermarket, how, how to do any number of normal things, uh, uh, normal activities that humans do all the time from having to take lessons driving cars, everybody's got to take lessons driving cars, to knowing uh, how to cook an egg, or or any number of the most mundane activities you could possibly imagine, uh, uh, and uh, and what was happening was these abductees were helping these people, as they told me, uh, learn about American society, and some of them were helping them move into apartments and uh, and, and and homes and so forth, and. And uh, uh, I had never heard this before. This was this was new. Now here's the thing about new. New doesn't it didn't happen in uh, abduction research. You hear it, and then you hear it over and over and over and over and over again. And then the then there's a fight, and the fight is between you and and you, and the fight is over trying to keep awake while a person is talking about their experiences. That's the fight. It's a struggle. Let me tell you, Dr. Bob, it's a struggle. You've heard things hundreds of times over and over and over again. It's, it's soporific. It's sleep-inducing. And that soporific quality is what you want because different people are all saying exactly the same thing for no good reason. It does not give them esteem. It's not going to make them rich. They're not going to be heroes among their friends and family. All it does is make them look totally insane. And the people who have come to me are psychiatrists, psychologists, 
medical doctors, university professors, attorneys, police officers, you name it, everybody, people who can't hold a job, people who dropped out of, out of a grammar school in the 12th grade. It, 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 it's, it's just anybody and everybody. But for high-functioning people who have big-time jobs, they know that by coming to me, they are placing, they're placing their lives in my, in my hands. So, Eric, if anybody were to find out that they are a psychiatrist who says he's been abducted by little green men from Mars, that, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but it just might not seem the best thing for their careers as probably, psychiatrists. It probably isn't. So what you're saying about Eric has a, and a, uh, Eric more or less was being taught to do these things, or actually teaching others to do these things. Is that correct? Or I got that backwards. No, Eric was not teaching anybody. It was uh, Bernard who Bernard. was teaching Eric uh, everything. Ab- he was showing him different foods to eat. Yeah. and um, So the abductee then becomes the instructor of an alien. And so the alien can learn those things. Well, we're going to cover this more when we get back on 21st Century Radio next hour with Dr. David Jacobs walking among us, The Alien Plan to Control Humanity, Disinformation Books 2015. Well, this is 21st Century Radio. I'm the alleged Dr. Bob Hieronymus, and I'm twisting the night away every now and then. And our executive producer and researcher who, assistant who is my boss, who pushes me around all the time, is Laura Cortner. And there's Noah Dankner, who can bench press over 620 pounds. Now, congratulations, Noah. That is really something. I used to be able to do that in the old days, but I somehow I got a lot smaller and weaker. I don't know how that happened. Our guest is Dr. David Jacobs, Ph.D. The book is Walking Among Us, The Alien Plan to Control Humanity, Disinformation Books, 2015. Go to ufoabduction.com, and you can also check our growing YouTube channel of selected shows. (laughs) Of course, it's like a movie, friends. All right. Now, now, this book is, I think, one of the most important books you'll ever read about uh, in dealing with aliens or UFOs. Would you agree to that? Oh, absolutely. Oh, but how can, well, you're not prejudiced or anything, are you? No, not a bit. Oh, that's a good thing you're not. Now, you have, <laughs> you have categorized the aliens differently than before. Uh, how did you categorize them before, and what's this new classification? How did this come about? Well, what, what I did is I, uh, I before I talked about uh, different, char- different types of uh of hybrids and the gray aliens are small alien gray aliens are tall gray aliens then there were there were pe- people saw you know little babies who looked really alien but kind of human too a little bit and i called them uh, uh early stage uh, uh hybrids and then middle stage hybrid looks to half and half and late stage hybrids and and that was about it mm-hmm. um but uh what i've done now is is i have uh uh, there, there's more different kinds of hybrids, actually. Uh, there's uh, and and I I also tried to address the the reptilian-like ones, but with hybrids uh, uh, become more and more human, and 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 there are hybrids who really look human, but they're still hybrids. There's like a, what I call. Um, a personal project hybrids who look after uh, an abductee and who deal with an abductee most of her life and have a, 
uh, and, are, and are human in every way, except that they don't live here. Their range of information about living here is severely limited, uh, um, and they have tasks to do. Like the security hybrid has uh, keeps uh, make make sure that the that the that the abductee is not talking about what's going on, is not remembering, uh, is uh, uh, is doing what she's supposed to do or what he's supposed to do, and not recalcitrant or anything like that. Um, and there, there's other forms of of hybrids. And the last category, though, are hybrids. This is just a combination of the words human and hybrid, H-U-B-R-I-D. And uh, these are the ones who are actually moving in. This is The change is all about moving into the society and living here among us. And uh, hybrids need to be trained to a degree that is, 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 is very difficult to imagine, as I mentioned before. They have to, to learn absolutely everything uh, because there are millions of things to learn, and that's, that is, that's not an exaggeration. There are literally millions of things that humans learn over the course of their lives, many of which is, are picked up through osmosis just by looking at, at them when you're a baby. In other words... Uh, I don't. I haven't ever heard a kid ask me, uh, "What is a plate for?" and "Why do you put food on a plate?" That's just not a question that that Americans are going to ask. <laughs> it's just not not something you're going to hear. But that does happen with Hubert's as as they have to learn everything, and it's the abductees of, um, who teach them everything that they have to learn, as I mentioned before. Now, for a long, long time, I puzzled over reptilians. And I, I also puzzled over uh, gray aliens, to tell you the truth. There was something wrong with gray aliens. I could never justify it, which was their mouths. Mm-hmm. They don't eat. They don't breathe. They don't have teeth. And they don't talk. Therefore... Why do they need a mouth? Why is there a slit for a mouth there? What is that? And then I began to realize that there's a good possibility that these gray aliens were hybridized with DNA from humans. Yeah, that makes sense. For some reason or another. And then perhaps clones later on, since all gray aliens are pretty much alike. And uh, they don't. We don't really see them growing wrinkles and and having long beards or anything like that. They they seem to be ageless almost. But it could be that they're just cloned, and then ones who are getting older are, are useless, and they discard them in some way. I don't know. But um, but then I got to thinking about how did this program start? How did it begin? What was the what happened in the very 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 beginning, and my thought processes were just logical based on my knowledge of the, uh, the 21st century and and my upbringing and, and the fact that I'm a male and, and everything else that historians worry about all the time when they think about history, and that is that um, uh, there had to be some way in which they first identified Earth as a planet a planet to deal with, as a planet to, in some way, hybridize. 
there had to be a beginning. They had to discover us, find us, have us on a list, whatever it was. Then they had to come here and check us out and make sure that we, that our civilization uh, was, was compatible with what they wanted, that our intelligence was compatible with what they wanted, that the fact that we were on two legs rather than on six legs was compatible with what they wanted, et cetera, et cetera. Then they had to make the decision, okay, let's do it. That would have to put into uh, effect a train of events uh, which led to uh, abducting people. I'm not going to go too much into this, uh, but they had to have tables made that fit humans. They had to have everything on board these ships is for abductions. Uh, there's a, you don't see rec rooms on board a UFO, and 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 there's not Gray standing around telling jokes and punching each other on the shoulder and that sort of stuff. <laughs> Uh, it's all, everything is for abductions, everything is for humans. Uh, e even the, uh, uh, well, everything, you, you just have to take my word for it. There's nothing we see that, that, that seems for uh, odd or anything like that. But <clears throat> then they had to start getting humans. Well, insectolins don't come down and get humans. They're up there on board. They're doing their stuff on, on the UFO. Therefore, they had to have other beings who would be the initial ones who came down and got the ball rolling and started the abduction phenomenon. The physicality of it, of getting humans, bringing them on board, and then bringing them back. And my guess is that those were the reptilians and the reptilians are probably aliens or at least hybridized aliens with the insectolins, who knows, but aliens from other planets who have either undergone uh, uh, hybridization or who have just been taken from other planets and are now what would be workers or prisoners or who, who knows what word goes in there. They are the ones who went down and started getting people. That's when the gray aliens evolved and then they began to start t getting people. That population increased dramatically, and um, and and you, that that kicks off, that kickstarts the abduction phenomenon. And that's why you see reptilians on board some objects. Now, here's something that people are going to become inflamed about when I when I say this. Describing reptile-like ones, rep reptilians, as I call them in the book, is unusual. It, it's not often. It happens once in a while. I've got a bunch of reports of, of rep, reptilian types or reptilins. Uh, and, but it is not overwhelmingly large. It's small. It's certainly much, much, much smaller than just gray aliens. And even though when you look on the Internet, it's all reptilian all the time. It That's seems. right. Yeah, sure. Uh, and I don't, I, I don't fully understand that. It's not what I hear. It's, uh, it, it, it happens, and they're there. But they, I think, they were the original kidnappers, so to speak, the original abductors, because the insect-like ones don't do it. And after that, their jobs were taken over by uh, the gray aliens. And when I ask people. 
Uh, people say, oh, oh, this guy's a reptilian. Oh, I hate him. Oh, he's disgusting. I hate him. I hate him. I hate him. I say, well, is, is he being aggressive to you? No, no, he's just, he's, but, but I just hate him, and he's coming at me. Oh, he's disgusting. And I say, well, is, is he harming you? Is he hurting you in any way? No, no, no. Well, is, uh, uh, what is he doing? You know, what's, what's he doing? Well, he's doing, uh, he, and then they, they recount basically the standard stuff that everybody else does, but they just hate him. Mm-hmm. He gives off this aura of threat in some way or another. Um, but, might, not, uh, might that also be in part uh, because of the extremist fundamentalists who see these reptilians as Satan? Well, yeah, uh, I, I, maybe. It's possible, I guess. Uh, but, but they're just part of the work group. Sure, yeah. They're, they're, they're in the spectrum of the workers. Uh, this, it, they're not the ones in charge. They've got people above them. Uh, and so, now I've worked, I must say that I've worked with uh, five people who were um, uh, ministers, and uh, none of them, uh, well, with one I worked with for a very long time, with another one I worked with just a few times, and with a couple of others, well, no, another None of them thought that that these these had anything to do with uh, with uh, religion or with uh, demons or with angels or anything like that. Um, uh, although they, you know, I'm, I'm sure that they were prone to doing that. Something, but but they recognized that this was something different. Um, this is a, this is what I call planetary acquisition. This is something that is uh, that. We're, in the, we're involved with the takeover. If you, if you want to call it a, an invasion, you know, there was a woman named Ellen Crystal, the late Ellen Crystal, who wrote a book about UFOs called Silent Invasion. That's right. And, I remember that one. Yeah, and I, I always liked that, that title because it, it fits perfectly what's going on now. It's, it's a silent invasion. It, it, it's a, and and uh, uh, I don't know what the future holds, but I just can't imagine it as being good for us. Maybe my imagination isn't wide enough. But from what I know about these beings, uh, they they do what they want to do, and human beings have no control over them. They can control us, and we can't control them. And the problem is that that, make, is that makes us a second-class species as yes. opposed to uh, a first-class species. And... Uh, and uh, that's exactly the wrong way it should be. We should be the first-class species, and they should be the second-class species. But uh, that's not the way things appear to be working out. Tell us a little bit more about uh, their emotions, uh, how they how they view things in regards to uh, uh, humans. Well, you mean hubrids, hubrids or, or... Well, let's say... Uh, well, I'm no, I'm just looking... Certainly, you can say hubrids, but I'm I'm also just thinking about uh, the emotional factors uh, in regards to uh, how they express themselves. Right. Well, they are they are humans. They are humans in every way, except that they can control us and we can't control them. The problem is, they were born on board a UFO. They do not have human experiences. They do not have parents that they know of. 
mean, they obviously have a mother and a father uh, through sperm and egg, but they, there's no, no knowledge of that. They don't have siblings that they know of. When they're taken out of the uh, incubator tanks, when they're babies, they don't keep track of days and dates. That's not a concept. They, they, they've never had a birthday in their lives. They've never had a birthday party. They've never had presents. Do they... There's no humor on board. They can't recognize humor. Uh, sometimes they'll laugh, but they'll laugh at, uh, this is Hubert's now, they'll laugh at, at somebody doing something silly, but, but uh, uh, irony or, or jokes, things like that that you say, they just draw a straight blank from. Most of them have never heard music. They don't know what music is. There's no dance, there's no art, there's no theater, there's, there's no entertainment of the sort of that, 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 that we thrive on. Mm-hmm. They've never seen television before. Uh, these are the hubrids now, not, not other hybrids who come down to pick people up and they'll see a television on and that sort of stuff. Uh, but uh, they've never listened to the radio. They don't, they don't know what CDs are or, or MP3s or, or whatever. The amount of stuff that they don't know as they're moving into the society is just mind-boggling. It's jaw-dropping. They know a tremendous amount about living here, but that tremendous amount is on about a a three-year-old's level. And a three-year-old knows a huge amount. (laughs) So you know what I mean? It's... They have to learn everything now. We, got to, we have that. another break coming up there, David. So, in other words, uh, the aliens do not have a lot of, uh, they are not emotional beings. Is that well, correct? Not, not great aliens. They have no. very little emotions whatsoever. But humans do have them, yes. emotions. Yeah, that's the point. Sort I was of, kind of, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Well, let's take like a... They're dormant. Let's take a break here because we're moving towards the idea as to what's really going on from the standpoint that maybe we were always told all decades ago that there, if there was this abduction process that all it was about is they were studying us to find certain things out. And the peers, maybe those things that they had to find out was whether or not we could work with or they could work with us or control us. But it certainly wasn't just they're studying the, as to how our stomach works or that type of thing. Is that correct, sir? Absolutely correct. All right. We'll be back with our guest, Dr. David Jacobs, Ph.D., Walking Among Us, The Alien Plan to Control Humanity, Disinformation Books, 2015. Go to ufoabduction.com. Hi, this is Bud Hopkins, UFO investigator, writer, and artist, and you're listening to Dr. Bob Hieronymus, 21st Century Radio, and I'm very pleased to be a guest here. We're moving towards a point that I think is going to disappoint a lot of people that feel so strongly about good aliens uh, and the possibility that maybe we're being basically used. Um, you've, you've probably done a lot of interviews on this book, right? Yes, I have. I've done quite a bit. Uh, do you, have you been asked by uh, some of those, some of those um, people that have interviewed you uh, about... Where the good aliens are, or are there good aliens? So far, I have not been asked that, and I'm I, I'm pleased to say I 
Uh, I mean, maybe there are good aliens around, but they're not abducting people as far as I can tell. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, But being a good alien and being secretive and 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 abducting people over the course of their lives by the by the well millions literally because this is a global phenomenon mm-hmm. um it, it just doesn't make any any sense to me it's it, it's just there there's no evidence for it that i can find nobody's ever told me anything like that in all the years i've been doing this mm-hmm. uh and so uh i mean but Listen, if there are good aliens out there and, and they come here and, and uh, to help us, that's fine. I, I can live with that. Yeah, I, I can live with that too. You know, we could, maybe we could hire them or something. Right. Because I know they're out to make a lot as, mu- as much money as they possibly can. I'm sure they need it. It's <laughs> <laughs> like everybody else here. Well, I, I didn't want to get into that too deeply, but I, I know that there are uh, many, many friends of mine who are not going to be happy with the possibility that aliens, the, uh, this, this particular group, because they, they like to think that there really are 57, 58 different types of aliens, and they all come from different parts of the uh, the uh, universe, multiverse, wherever. Uh, and uh, it didn't necessarily seem that way to me, but that's something else. Well, I remember I was uh, there was a conference held at MIT um, back in 1992, and uh, uh, Jim Harder, who was a professor of uh, engineering at Cal Berkeley, got up in the, in the audience and said that, I, I don't remember the exact number, but it was something like there are 249 different aliens coming to Earth. Mm-mm. Wow. <laughs> and uh, the, the origin of that is, is, is improper. There's two origins of it. The first is, when people who are abducted um, remember things consciously, most people assume conscious memories are where it's at. That's the gold standard of, of memories, conscious memories. Actually, the reverse is the, mo- is the most important thing. Uh, they are notoriously inaccurate. And it's even though you'd think it goes against the grain to think that way, but I have learned through the hard way that when people remember things, uh, they're usually wrong, not about everything, but about most things. And when you begin to take a look at what exactly are they wrong about, the two leaders, the two highest forms of confabulation of being wrong are, number one, um, description of aliens, just like that, description of aliens, and number two, recounting alien dialogue. So if you say this handsome uh, uh, um, green uh, uh, alien with, with uh, antennas sticking out of his ears uh, told me that uh, they come in peace, uh, whatever, you know, you're, you're making two, you're confabulating in two areas right off. Uh, and, uh, and so uh, the problem is, is that people is that there's no standardization of procedures for hypnosis. And uh, that's the next book I'm going to write. It's going to be about you know how to do hypnosis with, with abductees. I'm going to try to standardize the field, even though uh, there are p- people who think that this is a wonderful, good, happy phenomenon. I'm, I'm certain hate my guts. But I hope it will standardize the field anyway, because it's going to be based on simple logic. And I'm going to be chronological and logical all the way through uh, this uh, how to do hypnosis book. 
so that people will ask the right questions and be aware of when somebody else is confabulating. And the problem is, is that oftentimes people can confabulate in the ways that hypnotists want them to confabulate. Mm-hmm. They, yeah. they do put things in their minds. They do ask questions that call for this kind of, of, uh, of wonderful, nice, sweet, sweetness that, that these angelic beings are, are bringing us. And, and it, I, it, I, I never hear that. I just never hear it. It just never comes up. Uh, and you know that it's a problem of questioning. And so when somebody says there's 56 aliens, they may fully believe it. They may not be lying, but they might also just be uh, looking, searching their own memories for what aliens look like or else have an in- incompetent researcher who's doing it with them. Well, you say that there is a bureaucracy involved with settling hybrids on Earth. Tell us about it. Well, the, first of all, there has to be advanced people. There has to be somebody who comes down and makes sure that the area that which, in which a hybrid or some hybrids are, uh, will be moving into is the correct area. Now, how they would know the correct area, I don't know. But... Um, my guess is that it has to be around some stores that are open all night long. That it has to be in a... See, they don't know safe or unsafe. They don't know crime or not crime. They, they fear violence, but, but it's hard for them to, to, uh, to determine which area is a good area or, or, or a lesser area. Uh, and so, but they figure something out for where uh, they would be moving into. And um, those are the, the advanced people. Then there's independent hubrids who come down and live alone in an apartment. They have to know where to go. They have to, uh, they have to know which apartment it is. They can't walk into somebody's apartment and say, hey, you, get the hell out. Uh, they can't do that. It's got to be prepared for them in the beginning. Then there are these security hybrids who protect them, who make sure that no harm comes to them, especially from the abductees that they'll be working with. Most hybrids have various different abductees that they go to. Uh, I was with one who, uh, who went to other abductees, but whose main purpose, whose ma- mainstay was the one I was working with. Um, and... Uh, at the same time, there's also um, uh, the personal project hybrid from who has known the abductee from the time he or she was a child and stuck with that abductee. Usually, it's a female abductee. Uh, and he has the responsibility of making sure that she's, she stays in line and, and doesn't tell anybody. Now, with Betsy in the book, she did tell people. She told me. And uh, they tried everything they could to get her to stop. And eventually, even with, they have a certain amount of violence that they use, too. It's, the, it's very odd violence, uh, but it's violence nonetheless uh, that, that they use. And they couldn't get her to stop. What happens then is they, is they send her up to um, gray aliens or even insectolins, who tell them that they can't be doing what they're doing. They've got to, they've got to be part of the, this group. It's for the best. 
and uh, and 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 scrape them over the uh, the coals a little bit, you know, and uh, not not physically, but but try to to make sure that they will uh, remain uh, in, in the in the aliens camp at all times, so to speak. They're not they're not running loose somewhere or anything. Uh, but this this bureaucracy is around them all the time. I shouldn't say all the time, but a lot of the time. Uh, they spend a lot of time together. The security hybrid will also bring down uh, young kids to look at people's apartments, to look at what what's in an apartment. Uh, uh, one, of, one of my... My favorite stories in this book, and there's a, there's about four billion stories, but one of my favorite ones is um, a, uh, a caretaker who's who's, who's uh, uh, just a caretaker. He looks human, uh, but he, his job is just to take care of these hubrids who will be moving here. Comes down with a kid and uh, to Betsy's house, and he and she shows the kid the kitchen and this and that, and they come into the living room. And the caretaker guy, the hybrid, sits on a, uh, a on the couch, and Betsy sits on the couch, and the kid sits on an upholstered chair. Except he's not; he's sitting in an odd way. He's he's sitting without his back touching the back. He's sitting sort of straight up, not leaning back. And the caretaker says to him, "Lean back. What's the matter with you? Basically, lean back." No, no, no. The kid doesn't want to lean back. The kid starts making excuses. Uh, uh, he uh, and um, he he won't lean back. At which point Betsy realizes what's going on here. He's afraid that if he leans back, because it's soft, he's going to fall through and maybe land on on his back on, on the floor. So she tells him. No, it's okay. You can lean back. There's there's wood inside the material there, inside the padding, and you won't you won't hurt yourself. It'll be okay. I'm getting this a tiny bit wrong here. So he gets up and he walks around. And he feels the back of the chair and he says, "Oh yeah, oh okay, oh." And he comes and he sits back in the chair and he slowly pushes himself back, pushes himself back, and he gingerly sort of leans back, and he's sitting in an upholstered chair. And I, I listen to this account, and knowing that there's no such thing as upholstered chairs on UFOs, and this is the first time the kid has ever sat in one, who would invent a story like that? How can you even think of a story like that? It's so mundane. It's so off the wall, so to speak. It's so bizarre in its, in its simpleness. In its in its mundaneness, in its everyday quality, that you, it would never occur to most Americans that they to to be frightened of an upholstered chair. And yet, this is what happens. Is that she's part of the bureaucracy. She's teaching this young kid who will not be moving in until he's at least seventeen or so. Uh, but she's helping to uh, train him, as she does on board as well, as do other abductees, on the processes of, um, of, of, of living here in China, teach him how to sit in a chair. <laughs> so this, all of this is done in total secrecy, right? 
The aliens don't want any of this known. Right? That is correct. So the without I- secrecy, there'd be no program. Without this clandestine nature, we'd know about it. We would have uh, extremely intelligent people, I would hope, putting their minds together collectively around the world because this is a global fi- global phenomenon uh, trying to either protect uh, abductees if they know who they are or stop the phenomenon or both. They would understand that this is an enormous existential threat to humanity, mm-hmm. period. Yes, it is. This is not just... Uh, immigrants coming into the society. This is an existential threat to humanity. It threatens our very existence. So the idea of some UFO researchers hoping and thinking that eventually the aliens themselves will break the secrecy and reveal what they're doing. Well, if they do that, obviously, if they would do that, they would probably be near the end of what's called, you call the change there's no reason to ever do it. They all know themselves what they're doing. Eventually, if, if they overtake humanity through birth, if they, if they become dominant in this society, they still don't have to do it. They can just, <laughs> there's no reason to ever uh, not be secret. But if, but, if, but if somebody finds out about it in a secret, it's not going to matter much at that time. Mm-hmm. That will be, uh, I hope, long after I'm in uh, one of the two places I'm supposed to go when I die. Well, you may end up going to both of those places the way things are going these days. But we've got to take our final break of this hour. And uh, we need to talk a little bit more about what that program is, why the aliens are doing it. And uh, if this is happening, can anything be done about it? Can you answer those questions for us when we come back? Well, for, if the fee is correct, I'll Well, I'll give you $1,500. Is that going to handle it? Yes, it's a deal. Okay. All right. See you back there. Okay. But you'll get a check. It won't be cash. All right. Our guest is Dr. David Jacob, Ph.D. This is Dr. John Mack, uh, author of Passport to the Cosmos, Human Transformation and Alien Encounters. You are listening to 21st Century Radio with Dr. Bob Hieronymus. All right. Now, talk to us about if this program... Uh, that you have outlined is happening, what the point of it is, and why are they doing it, and is it possible to get a, get out of it somehow? Maybe if we gave them about $10 million, we'd be able to get out of it, but I don't know. I think they could create their own money, though. Well, yeah, and you you bring up some, some really interesting uh, questions, and they're interesting for a lack of knowledge. We don't know why this is happening. We don't know why these insectolins and, and the whole crew, so to speak, is doing what they're doing. I mean, other than, than you know, transporting people to live here, uh, Hubert's, but, but we don't know why. We don't know what the future brings. We don't know what's in their minds. Now, here's, here's the deal. With the abduction phenomenon, it's either psychological or it's real. There's nothing in the middle. It, it's, it's, it's just something the brain cooked up through fetid imaginations, or it's, or it's happening. With UFOs, there's lots in the middle. You can see UFO up in the sky, and you can investigate it, investigate it, investigate it, and it's not a UFO, it's something else. You see UFO, UFO uh, up there, and, and it is a UFO. 
you know, there, there's this middle ground where sometimes you're mistaken, but you did see something in all that. Uh, and uh, with UFOs, the amount of evidence is overwhelming. It's, it's mind-boggling. Every conceivable kind of evidence, now people will dispute this, except having one is available to UFO researchers. In other words, there's uh, photographs and, and tapes and movies and, uh, and marks on the ground and, and uh, every conceivable kind of, of evidence one would uh, like to have except for physical evidence. Uh, we have, and we have tremendous amounts of it. I mean, it's mind-boggling. With abductions, it's either psychological or it's not, or it's it's uh, happening. One of the two. There's there's nothing in the middle. Now, if this were psychological, we'd know why they were doing it. Because if they're making everything up, they would make that up too. Maybe not everybody, but maybe most people would. Because uh, they 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 want to improve uh, relations uh, with uh, to give us relations with the community of planets uh, because uh, they they want to cure, come here because we're despoiling our environment and they want to help us and and it's all going to be wonderful when they show us how to, how to do it later on whatever we'd have lots of different explanations for it but we don't we don't we don't know we all we know is that they're doing it. The insectolins are the ones in control, and they don't tell others. When people have asked the Hubrids, why are you doing this? They say, uh, uh, this is our task. Our task is to live here. They, they don't know anything else. So all I know is that they're supposed to live here, and that's what they do, because they're not quite human. See what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they obey orders uh, without question. There's no doubt about it. So... Um, so we don't know, and it once can it, you know, it's as simple as 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 being abducted. If people were making this up, I remember thinking years and years ago that they're telling me they're 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 in their room, and suddenly there's a light in the room, and now they're moving towards the light, and now they're going right through uh, the window, right through the uh, into the uh, through the slide up into a UFO. And I say, wait a second, wait, well, hold on for a second, let me back you up. When you get to the window, do you open the window? And they say, uh, uh, no, no, I don't open the window. I say, well, when you get to the window, do the aliens open the window? No, no, they don't do that either. I say, well, when you get to the window, does it open by itself in some way? You know, a psychokinesis, whatever. And they say, no, they say, I just, I just think I'm floating right through the closed window. Now, here's the thing. There is no reason whatsoever, if they are making this up, that they would say, I'm going through the closed window. It's a barrier to belief. If they say, of course I open the window, then everything is fine. Everything is smooth. Yes, everything makes sense. But none of them say that. (laughs) They always say, I'm going right through the closed window. I've heard this hundreds of times, and people will look at me and say, has anybody else ever reported that? You know, it's the same way with knowing what's going on. Uh, hybrids and hybrids and, 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 and everybody else really don't say why they're doing this. So we don't know, and abductees don't make it up. Well, what kind of society would we experience if 
the aliens did succeed, if this is what they were headed towards. Well, once again, we'd be a second-class species. Uh, I, I don't. I. I do not know if humans in the way we are now would would exist very much longer. To tell you the truth, I really do think that this is an existential threat. That uh, eventually uh, they'd all become uh, uh, hybrid or hybrids, rather, in some way because of marrying in. Uh, um, but uh, um, I, 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 I fear the worst. I just, we're dealing with an enormously advanced technological society, uh, if I can use this phenomenon as a society. Uh, and not only that, my guess is that they have done this before, that this is not new to them, that this is not something that they're trying out, that this is kind of standard fare in some way. So none of this gladdens my heart. Uh, uh, and um, I, 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 I look at the future, and of course historians cannot tell the future. You, you learn that in the first day in history school, so to speak. And um, you can't tell the future, and I can't tell the future, and it's all, all telling of the future is guesswork. But this gives me a, a, a real fear for the future of, uh, of, of us as humans. I, I really do. I hate to say it that way. I never in my life imagined I would be saying words like this or talking like this. Never, ever, ever. Well, I feel pretty much the same way along these lines. I'm much less educated in this area, but I, I feel the same way. From the standpoint, the kind of society that they would be, we would be living in, since they can read, they're, they're in, uh, they're telepathic, so they can read us before, after we think something, and they know what we're ready to do. I don't know what kind of defense we can have against something like this. Do you? No, but you know, there's a guy named Mike Minkin who makes sort of helmets and hats for people who are abductees who who say that 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 abductions have been prevented and all that, and he may be on the right path, uh, and uh, but he's not a scientist, and scientists couldn't care less about this subject. That's There's a few, you know, who are interested in it on the side, but but they know that if, to show any interest in it whatsoever is it, curtains for them. It, it's disastrous. You know, I was at Temple for um, from 1975 to 2011, Temple University, when I when I retired. Not a single person from the sciences, from the science departments, uh, chemistry and physics and astronomy, whatever it is, not a single person in all those years ever came up to me and asked me what the heck I was doing and why was I doing this and 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 what's your you know, nothing like nothing. Never, ever asked me that. Uh, and I had more publicity at Temple University than any other fa- faculty member outside of the outside of the sports department and, um, and the sports program, I should say. And and yet, and it was, and I was uh, on in the newspapers and then all the time. Not a single scientist. Now, having said that about scientists, two people from the rest of the university. A guy who was a professor of philosophy and a friend of mine in the history department asked me about the UFO and abduction phenomenon. Only two in my own department. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so uh, this is, I think that this is pretty reflective of the scientific community yes. a- as a whole. And so we don't know whether this thing can be stopped. Of course, it is global. 
but we don't know whether we can in some way impede it without intelligent people taking a serious look at this and, and acting. And from what I can tell right now, is that's just not going to happen. Well, what about what about the possibility of Mother Nature? Because obviously we're going through some environmental changes, some really serious ones. Do you think that that could affect uh, these aliens in a in a negative way? Well, you mean it might bring them down faster to stop it in some way or something yeah. like that? Uh, well, got to yeah. Is that possible? Beats me. I don't know. I mean, they have uh, such high technology. It would seem that they could escape from any physical. Uh, dim- uh, third-dimensional uh, uh, serious problem. Yeah, we would think, but, you know, they, I don't know if they know about the problems of Earth. I, I, don't think that, I don't think they watch the news. I don't think that they know who anybody is. They, most of them don't know that, that, that they're coming down to the country, that, that the country that they'll be living in is Pakistan, let's just say, or the United States or Canada or Latin America or whatever. They, they don't know that there's a president of the United States. They, they have to learn how to eat with a fork. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's, their knowledge of, uh, of the society is, is limited, to say the least. Uh, but eventually they'll learn. They are tremendous learners. They remember everything. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, when I first started out with this, uh, Baba, uh, I, I was thrilled to death. I thought that that UFOs back when I was in, in, in 1966, whatever, that this would, might be contact with other planets and, and there'd be a meeting of the minds and a landing on a White House lawn and an exchange of gifts and uh, we'd be a community of planets and all that sort of nonsense. And, and, but I, 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 that's what I was involved with. And I thought, oh, that's wonderful. It's thrilling. It's exciting. And, then, and I, I sort of kept that way, uh, wondering why the UFOs didn't land and all that uh, until I, I got involved with abductions. And, we got to stop right now. I am so sorry, Doctor. We needed four more hours on this book. Dr. David Jacobs, Ph.D., Walking Among Us, The Alien Plan to Control Humanity, Disinformation Books, 2015. And that's the end of the hour. 21st Century Radio is produced by Hieronymus & Company. Our executive producer and research assistant is Laura Cortner. I'm Dr. Bob Hieronymus, and remember, shine your shoes and get a haircut.